Today we're drawing closer to the end of a series that we have been working together almost 10 weeks now, The Mark of Christ, as we have continued through the Gospel of Mark, looking at the miracles and the parables and the stories of Jesus that has certainly led us to this Resurrection Sunday of who we are and of whose we are. And today I I invite you to come with the women. On that early Sunday morning in the darkness and the coolness into that graveyard, weighted down by spices and linen and ointments because they had come to find the body of Jesus Christ and to embalm him, probably worrying all along the way of how they would move that great stone in front of the tomb. Who would help them move that stone? And lo and behold, when they arrived, they found that the stone had already been moved away. And there was nothing, nothing except the emptiness of the tomb itself. Join me in the Gospel of Mark, the 16th chapter, as we read these verses that Mark writes. This is what he says. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene... Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go. Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, I dare say we all like Bible stories that end with a bang. You know, we love it when Israel escapes through those walls of water in the Red Sea and the Egyptians get drowned behind them in their chariots. We love it when the walls of Jericho come a-tumbling down. And we love it when David loads up his slingshot and aims it at Goliath. Those are the kind of Bible stories we really enjoy because then we're ready to sing a hymn and go home happy. Today is such a story. It's probably the best ending in all the Bible. The ending we celebrate because it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And every time we read the Gospels, we get excited because this is a great ending. Well, all the other, ops, all the other Gospels are great endings. Not this one. Mark, somewhere along the line, is the exception. You might say he's the black sheep of the Bible story endings. You read this end of Mark and you wonder, gee, maybe he got writer's block. Maybe his pen dried up. Maybe the ink cartridge went dry in his inkjet printer. 
because it just doesn't make sense. The end of the story is what I just read to you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Not much of a conclusion, do you think? In fact, it's so unsatisfactory and so incomplete that for the next 300 and 400 years, scribes who were translating this gospel of Mark decided they needed to add a little to it, need to doctor it up, need to make it a little better, literary satisfying. Matter of fact, you'll find that the verses 9 through 20, they don't belong to Mark. He didn't write those verses. Someone else wrote them because they thought the gospel really needed a better ending. We don't know what happened to the original ending or whether indeed there either wasn't an original ending. We will probably never, ever know that. But I want to tell you, I kind of love this ending. I love it because it's unadorned and it's straightforward and it's honestly human. It's like us. The women are the first resurrection witnesses. They're shocked. They're terrified. They're stunned. That's authentic. It's exactly the way you and I would act had we gone to the graveyard. The other Bible storytellers talk about joy, but Mark talks about fear. The women enter the darkness of the tomb. They're catching their breath, and their hearts are pounding inside. And imagine you going into that tomb with them. And there's a young man donned in white clothes. Matter of fact, Luke says they were lightning bright. He's sitting there patiently, smiling, waiting for you. Don't tell me you wouldn't be afraid. I would be afraid. And the angel said what angels always say on occasions like this. Don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. I think angels get a kick out of saying that don't be alarmed stuff. I really do. Don't be alarmed. Don't be afraid. I think those are code words from God that have been used from the very beginning of Bible stories because we see it again and again and again. Don't be afraid, Abraham. Don't be afraid, Hagar. Don't be afraid, Rachel, Moses, Joshua. Don't be afraid, young Mary. Don't be afraid, old Joseph. Don't be afraid, disciples, Peter, James, John. Don't be afraid, Paul. The women don't find the body. Jesus is not there. And Mary Magdalene saw them put the body in this very tomb. She knows this is the tomb. She knows it's the right one. Probably the other women there are questioning her. Mary, do you have the right tomb? This is the tomb. And there's no body. And it's exactly where it should be. In its place is this angel. This angel who says he has risen. He is not here. And I want you to remember this, no one, absolutely no one in the annals of history or time ever have come upon a grave like these women did and found it empty when they expected a body to be there. No wonder they were afraid. You'd be afraid too. But even in the midst of this confusion, even in the midst of trying to understand this, they knew deep down inside that their world had just changed. It was never going to go back to the way it was. Their encounter with the divine here in the emptiness of the tomb made everything change. Imagine burying a loved one, 
and going to the tomb two days later to place flowers on it, and there is no grave, and there is no body. What would you do? What would you say? You're probably sitting there saying, well, that just doesn't happen. It did happen. It did happen. And that's why we're gathered here today. The women have no idea what's going on. They can't even place which end is up. How can they? They've come to pay tribute to Jesus Christ, dead body Jesus. Now the women are terrified and they do the only reasonable thing they think they can do, run away. Get out of there as fast as they can. The women can deal with death. They can deal with a dead body just like each and every one of us can do it. But this makes absolutely no sense. It's not death the way they've known it. They can't make any sense of this. They are frightened, even despite the assurance from the angel. Do not be alarmed. The women run away. Just like in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus needed his disciples so much, and they ran away. The women ran away from the truth of the empty tomb, just like Peter ran away from Jesus' truth when he denied him three times. The women were petrified and frightened, just as I wonder whether we are petrified and frightened sometimes to publicly and passionately proclaim that Jesus Christ is our Lord and our Savior because of the world in which we live and the culture in which we find ourselves. Are we not also afraid? When we face the unknown, folks, when we face that which we cannot understand or comprehend, when we confront something that's larger than ourselves, when we come face to face with the unexplainable, you betcha you're afraid. And if you're not, you better check your heart beating. You're afraid. Now, you know as well as I do that somewhere along the line, these women overcame their fear. Somewhere along the line, their fear was abated. Perhaps they had run themselves to exhaustion. They had paused to look at one another. And they finally went to tell the men. And where were the men? They were hiding. They were afraid. I love how God uses women here. They're the first ones at the tomb. Isn't that the way it is, ladies? Amen. I got an amen. They're the first ones at the tomb. They go tell the guys, and what happens? The guys don't really believe what they're saying because, you know, women, they don't always get it right. Uh, uh, that's the early church. It's not me. It's just what the early church said right here. Laugh with me because the guys are hiding, and they're afraid, and it takes the women to go and tell them. And only then do they get past their fear, and they go to the tomb and see for themselves. That's important to understand. I believe Mark wants to put each and every one of us at the entrance of that empty tomb with the ladies. And he wants us to think about exactly what's going on. Mark wants us to understand that which is not fully understandable. He wants us to understand that we don't control God and we don't fully understand God. We never will. We never have. We can't predict what God is going to do or how it's going to affect our lives. We don't know our own futures, much less the futures that God has planned for us. But Mark wants us to think. Mark wants us to understand there at the entrance of the empty tomb 
exactly what's happening. And if you step back with me, if you step just back a moment and look into the void of that empty tomb, instead of running away, instead of being afraid, you think about what's happening. And you look into the depths of that empty tomb and you understand one very positive thing. We begin to understand the obvious. Jesus is not dead. God is not dead. And nothing we do, no tomb, no hole, no box we can put God in can keep God there. Nothing. No expectations, no box, no tomb, because God is greater than all of that. I want to assure you all of something that perhaps you've thought about it, perhaps you haven't. I want to assure you that if there was any way possible, those who placed Jesus Christ on the cross, the Romans and the religious elite would have done absolutely anything and everything to tell that that tomb was not empty. They would have gone to the highest mountain and the depths of the sea to prove to someone that that tomb was empty and they only had to do one thing. All they had to do was find and produce a body. But they couldn't because there was no dead body. One thing is for certain, my brothers and sisters, if Jesus Christ had not risen from the dead, we would have never heard about him again. He would never be in any history annal. He wouldn't be even in the book that you've got there in the pews. He would have disappeared off the face of the earth, period, end of sentence. That empty tomb is a witness to the living power of God. God set loose a God we can't control, we can't understand, a God that is so powerful and so huge that it scares us, and rightfully it should. It's a story whose ending we cannot write, and the one who can write it is in total control. Because out of that empty tomb, we find that God is on the loose. He has been let loose. God's powerful, frightening, redeeming love is on the loose in this world. And everything is different, never to be the same again. Sometimes his love trips us up when we don't expect it. Sometimes we find it in places we don't expect it, or it leads us to some places we don't want to be. But God's awesome, powerful love is always there for us because he died on a cross for us. God's love is on the loose in this world, all because of the emptiness of that tomb, and everything is different. We think, by our own standards, that which is right. But in the presence of that awesome God, everything changes. What was right is now wrong. What was last is now first. What was dead is now alive. And it's staring us right in the face. Out of the emptiness of that tomb, we see God on the loose and his redeeming love covering us and covering this world. The world we understand is upside down, folks. It's upside down. God through Christ is alive. He's unpredictable, and he's seeking a new relationship with each and every one of us. And things will never, ever be the same again. We're afraid sometimes. Why are we afraid? What is that fear that wells up inside of us? God's love is on the loose. It's relentless. 
It chases us down. It terrifies us. It angers us sometimes because we don't want anything to do with God's love. It invites us into an open-ended relationship and a remarkable story that only he has the conclusion. But sometimes we like to go in the opposite direction and we're afraid. Let's be honest, if we were in our right minds, coming face to face with the awesome power of God, we would turn and run as quickly as we could, as far as we could, and we could hide forever and ever and ever. And some of us do that. Some of us do that. Maybe we're all guilty of that sometimes. We are afraid and we run away. But it's only when we stop being afraid. It's only when we understand that power of God and the fact that he loves us so much and that he is with us that we really have the power to do the things he wants us to do, to serve him. God is on the loose and he wants us to serve him in a strong and a powerful and a loving way. But watch out, folks. Our understanding of death has changed. Our understanding of life has changed. We stand in front of that empty tomb, and our minds may not comprehend it. We may not come up with a logical reason, but the tomb is still empty. We may raise our objections and doubts and say, "Mm, not so sure. We may even try to run away simply because we don't want to face the truth, but the empty tomb stares back at us. And on this Resurrection Sunday, on this Sunday when you gather in his house and give praise and glory, When you think about your lives and how they are eternally wrapped to the one who died on the cross for you, we are once again confronted by God's truth, and we are amazed at his love for us, a love so deep, so wide, that he sends his son to die for us, a terrific, horrible death on a cross. All because of an empty tomb, it's beyond our comprehension. And at some point, folks, we just have to accept it on faith. Something deep down inside us either has to click on or off that we accept it on faith. I love this quote that I'm about to give you. For those who believe, no proof is necessary. For those who don't believe, no proof is possible. For those who believe, no proof is necessary because it comes from inside you. It is the foundation and the cornerstone of your faith. For those who don't believe, no proof is possible because there's nothing logical or comprehensible about the awesome God on the loose and his love that covers us all. It's not something that you can rationally put together like children's building blocks. It's not something that fits nicely. Don't ever try to put God in a box just like we don't put God in a tomb. God doesn't fit. Sometimes things are beyond us. We see them with our eyes, but we can't quite understand them with our minds. And that's where faith comes in. As I close today, I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you a question. If this week you had heard about a man here in Danville a man like Jesus, who had died. And they buried him out here at Danville Cemetery. And two days later, they went to place flowers on his grave. And there was no grave, no tombstone, no body. It was disappeared. It was gone. What would you do? Man, you'd be shouting out from the hilltops. You'd be talking to everybody. You'd be on Facebook. You'd be on Twitter. You'd be on Instagram. This just doesn't happen. So, is our belief in Easter so compelling 
that we want to talk to people about it, that we want to tell them at every possible time. We want to tell them on Facebook. We want to tell them on Twitter. We want to tell them on Instagram. Had a young man one time I was counseling when I was up in northern Kentucky. And he told me this. He said, I don't believe, preacher, that what you preach is the truth. I don't believe, preacher, that what you preach is the truth. But if I did, I would crawl on my hands and knees over a mile of broken glass to tell people about it. Think about it, folks. Think about it. Maybe it's time we decide what we believe and why we believe it and what in the world we're going to do about it. Maybe it's time we got down on our hands and knees and crawled a mile through broken glass that we might proclaim that Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Because if you believe it in your hearts, you should proclaim it. Folks, let me leave you this one thought. Easter is nothing if you remain quiet about it. Easter is nothing if you remain quiet about it. And the resurrection is a sham if you are afraid of the consequences. The resurrection is a sham if you are afraid of the consequences. We need to join that angel there in the emptiness of the tomb, shouting at the tops of our lungs, He is risen! He is risen indeed! A message that we need to shout as long as we possibly can for a hurting world that desperately needs to know that even though the empty tomb may not be logical, it is still the truth. Instead of being afraid and running away, let us stand with that truth and be the type of Christians and servants Jesus Christ has always want us to be, serving a living Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me, please?